Chapter 12 of The Radio Beasts This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Daryl Hansen The Radio Beasts by Ralph Milne Farley Chapter 12 The Troubles of Toron No, the ant flyers did not capture me, replied the young Prince Toron, for when they punctured my fuel tank, I fluttered down and landed in a tree in some thick woods. Of course, this wrecked my plane, but that didn't matter, for the machine was no good anyhow without any fuel. And where could I have my tank repaired or get any alcohol, with the whole country plunged in civil war? The ants, however, had good cause to conserve their planes, and so must needs land in a field at some distance from me in order to pursue me. If they had only had sense enough to drop a few bombs on my tree, they would have had me then and there, and the succession to the throne would have been infinitely simplified. But luckily, they tried to capture me. Undoubtedly, they had by this time figured out who I was, and had decided that I would be a worthwhile prize to bring back alive to my loving brother. I remained in the tree until I saw them hover down to the ground, and thus knew what their plans were. Then, shedding my toga, I hastily rigged up a dummy of myself, left it in the cockpit, and clambered down the tree. The branches were close, and the foliage thick, so that climbing up that tree would be absolutely impossible for a creature so large as a formian. Yet my dummy body high aloft looked so natural from the ground that I was sure that the enemy would try to ascend and would finally resort to chopping or even gnawing it down in order to capture me. They had landed to the north of my position for the evident purpose of cutting off any further advance on my part. So I set out as nearly due west as I could, lining up one tree after another to keep from traveling in a circle, until finally I came to the main highway which runs north from Kuwana. But what good did it do you? interrupted Cabot. You were stark naked, weren't you? Naked as the day I was born, Toron replied. A dainty situation for a prince of the royal house to be in. But I had scarcely reached the road when night fell. The dense Peruvian darkness would serve as my toga for the present, and also would enable me to avoid any approaching kirkuls by virtue of the warning radiance cast by their headlights, even before those lights themselves became visible. You see, Cabot, I cannot hear a kirkul as I could an airplane, for kirkuls have trophil engines which do not radiate, and I do not possess those funny cups on the side of my head, with which you exercise that uncanny earth sense that enables you to hear things which make no sound. So it is only at night that I could be safe from approaching cars. Of course, travel by night was most difficult. I fell off the road many times and bruised myself considerably. Yet there was nothing for me to do but press on to the northward. Cabot smiled reminiscently at the word. And so, 
the young prince continued. I kept on. I remember figuring out, during one period of rest, after a particularly severe fall from the road, that it would take me at least ninety days to reach Lake Luno at the rate at which I was going. But still I pressed on, for there was no alternative. Just before daybreak, I reached a town and started to skirt around its edges. But I became terribly involved in some outlying lanes and alleys. Soon I found myself hemmed in in a narrow street. By groping my way from one side to the other, I discovered that there were high fences on each side. Therefore, I continued on down this alley. It twisted and turned so that I kept bumping against the fences, and finally had no very clear idea of direction. And then, to add to my discomfiture, a dull glow gradually diffused the air behind me, thus showing that a curcule was slowly picking its way down the same street. Naturally, I started to run. And equally naturally, I hadn't gone far when I collided head-on with a fence. The shock hurled me to the ground and supplied me with plenty of light for a few moments. Only it was light which didn't do me much of any good. But just as the curcule rounded the turn behind me, I groped my way to my feet, and luckily in so doing I found a door in the fence against which I had just run. It was unlocked. In another instant, I was through, with the door carefully shut. I felt for some bolt or bar, but there was none. So I set out carefully, at right angles to the fence. The light from the curcule now so filled the street that I could see my way dimly. The place was some sort of garden, either vegetable or flower. I was standing in a bed but I quickly stepped out and hurried down one of the paths. Meanwhile, the curcule had stopped outside, but for what reason I could not imagine. I doubt if the driver heard me, for I had radiated nothing since entering the garden, but perhaps he had seen me as I passed through the gate. Perhaps the gate made a noise, suggested Miles mildly. Of course not. Gates don't radiate. Prince Toron scornfully replied, then laughed. I forgot. You can hear gates and all sorts of other noiseless sounds, but we Cupians, who have no mushrooms on the sides of our faces, are not so gifted. Well, as I was saying, the curcule stopped, and presently the gate opened, letting a flood of light through into the garden. Then I did run indeed. But as I heard no radiations behind me, I could not tell whether or not I was pursued. As I ran, and as I got farther and farther away from the fence, my surroundings became dimmer and dimmer until I could scarcely see, when suddenly there loomed up in front of me a long row of ghostly figures gesticulating wildly, though in perfect silence, and shifting uneasily about without, however, disturbing their perfect alignment. My escape was completely cut off. At once I stayed my headlong flight, but my new enemies did not advance upon me, nor did they utter a sound. It was most uncanny. 
glancing furtively behind me. I could see that the distant gate still stood open, and that the figure of an ant-man was silhouetted in the light which flooded through it. So there was no turning back. The line of enemies in front of me still maintained their positions, and still kept up their restless motions. Most of them stood nearly shoulder to shoulder, but between two of them was a gap several paces wide, and through this gap I suddenly plunged, intending to take them by surprise. But it was evidently a trap, for just as I passed through, a slip noose tightened about my throat, and I was thrown backward to the ground. With my last fading consciousness, I could see my enemies about to pounce upon me. Toron paused in his narrative, and smiled mysteriously. Yes, yes, go on, said Miles eagerly. But still the prince maintained his silence, with a twinkle in his clear blue eyes. Go on, Miles impatiently repeated. What sort of folks were these? I have seen many strange sights since my advent on your planet, but never have I seen any group of Cupians stand in a row at night and sway back and forth like trees. Who were they, and what did they do to you when they captured you? End of chapter 12